Welcome to Collateral Insights, a JP Morgan Collateral Services podcast series bringing the latest thought leadership, best practices and trends impacting the securities financing and collateral ecosystem. In this series, we'll aim to focus on topics such as pledge, asset mobilisation, collateral innovation and efficiency, in addition to other common themes impacting the regulatory and sustainable financing landscape. My name is Russell Pudney and I work in the UK bank sales team at JP Morgan, representing the collateral services business and have the pleasure to be moderating today. I'm very pleased to be joined by Graham Gooden, Head of Product Management for Collateral Services and Adele Burke, APAC Head of Product Management. We'll be speaking today about the very current topic of pledge, including the key drivers and the exciting and innovative developments coming out of the APAC region. Welcome, Graham and Adele. From JP Morgan's standpoint, the pledge model is now seeing strong adoption in Europe and in APEC, and its success shows how the securities finance industry can successfully adapt to new regulatory challenges while preserving core client protections. Graham, starting with the basics, what is the difference between pledge and title transfer in tripartite? At a high level, in securities financing under transfer of title, collateral is transferred between the collateral provider and a receiver where the legal title or ownership of the collateral is transferred to the collateral receiver into an account in their name. Under a pledge structure, collateral is transferred into a segregated account, but the legal owner of that account is the collateral provider, and the collateral receiver is granted the security interest in the account. Operationally, day-to-day, there is very little difference between transfer of title or a pledge arrangement from a tri-party perspective. The same features and benefits of tri-party are fully available for pledge. The account naming convention and the pledge is different to reflect the fact that the collateral is segregated for the benefit of the collateral receiver as a secured party and that legal title is retained by the collateral provider. But otherwise, both parties submit required values, both parties approve eligibility schedules, receive the same reporting as they would do for standard tri-party. The significant difference is the legal contract governing the collateral account, which is named as a control account agreement or ACA for pledge versus collateral management service agreement or CMSA for title transfer. So, Graham, how does the pledge structure change the default process then? In a default scenario, the collateral provider, under a title transfer arrangement, the collateral receiver already has legal title over the tri-party account and issues a notice of default under the CMSA before instructing the tri-party agent to deliver the collateral to the collateral receiver's own custody account for onward liquidation. Under pledge, the secured party issues a notice of exclusive control for the tri-party agent to cease accepting instructions from the collateral provider and similarly instructs the tri-party agent to deliver the collateral to the receiver's own custody account. In the event of a collateral receiver default and the pledge, the collateral provider can submit a notice of secured party default to the tri-party agent, which after a stay period and certain conditions being met, transfers control of the collateral account to the collateral provider, who in turn will manage through their default protocols pursuant to their underlying principal agreements. So Graham, is Pledge a new concept in tripartite? Pledge has been around for a long time, but was given an increased prominence with the uncleared margin rules since 2016, where Pledge in the form of a tripartite account control agreement has been wildly adopted across the derivatives industry for the posting of initial margin. From a securities lending perspective, Pledge has been a feature of US activity for some time, but internationally we partnered with ISLA in 2018 to develop the GMSLA Pledge Principal Agreement and associated tri-party ACA, from which we have seen a steady uptake since. 
And Graham, you mentioned that pledge is growing in popularity. How material has that growth of pledge balances been over the past year versus overall tri-party growth? Certainly. While overall our tri-party balances have been growing healthily at around 30% year on year, pledge is growing at over 100% across the programme, which we expect to increase as the number of conversations between providers and receivers increases, and pledge becomes more business as usual. Well, that is certainly impressive growth. Uh, be interesting to understand, what are the main drivers and benefits of Pledge? The main driver for clutch providers is the balance sheet benefit of retaining the principal and margin of the clutch on balance sheet. While we understand Pledge structures can cost more from a higher spread perspective for the underlying securities borrowed, but the RWA benefits of clutch posted via Pledge often outweighs those premiums. Other benefits of Pledge include the comfort around posting clutch over record date for asset servicing, and simplification of disclosures from a shareholder rights perspective. In certain markets where transfer of title is not allowed or is problematic, then Pledge offers an effective solution to enable securities financing. So if I can summarise those key benefits, from a borrower's perspective, they are capital relief and additional comfort to finance securities over record date, and for lenders, the potential of higher spreads and reporting efficiencies. Brent, is the pledge model better suited to tri-party versus bilateral? Pledge is well suited for the tri-party structure, combining the benefits of complex eligibility and optimization functionality with the flexibility to cater for different default scenarios. For the uncleared margin rules, tri-party pledge is very well established, accounts for the collateralization of over 100 billion of exposures on a daily basis. Excellent. Thank you, Graham. Let's switching over to the APEC region. Adele, can you share some insights on the markets in Asia, please? Sure, Russ. We're experiencing similar growth in pledge balances here in APAC. Over the same period Graham referenced earlier, March 2020 to April 2021, in Asia, Korean pledge balances are up 48%. Japan onshore pledge is up 65%. And Hong Kong China Stock Connect is up 100%. One of the main drivers for this increase is that markets like Korea and Stock Connect have regulatory restriction on the free transfer of ownership of local securities. And as you would expect, this, of course, is not conducive for traditional tripartite financing. However, these markets do allow for the pledging of local securities as collateral and as such, Triparty, with the operational benefits and efficiency, have been able to help facilitate the financing of Korea and Stock Connect securities. Thank you, Adele. So are collateral pledge arrangements new in APAC and other requirements and practices similar to other markets, say, in Europe? Interestingly, pledge arrangements are quite common throughout Asia. In some markets like China and Japan, Pledge financing is more prevalent than title transfer. One of the main drivers is that markets like China, Korea, Taiwan, and India, sometimes referred to as investor ID market, as omnibus account structures are not permitted. These markets have regulatory restriction on the free transfer of assets between different legal entities or beneficial owners. In other words, Free transfer across beneficial owners are not allowed. So the typical title transfer financing arrangement just does not work. However, as I mentioned earlier, 
pledge arrangements are allowed in these markets, and therefore, collateral receivers can obtain a security interest over local securities. In other markets like Japan, this is not an issue as it relates to ID market. Pre-transfer across beneficial owners and different legal entities are permitted. That said, Japan has its own nuance when it comes to the pledging of Japanese securities. In Japan, to create a valid and perfected security interest over Japanese securities, the pledge must be administered in compliance with the Japanese Book Entry Act, which is a local regulation. Under the Japanese Book Entry Act, there are two key requirements. The first, the pledge of Japanese securities must be governed under Japanese law. And the second, the pledge securities must be transferred into a pledge account open in the name of the collateral receiver by the custodian. Just another point to note is that the custodian administrating the pledge must be registered with the Bank of Japan as it relates to JGBs and JASDEC for Japanese equities, corporate bonds, or any securities cleared through JASDEC. That's very interesting. There are certainly some unique complexities and opportunities for pledging APAC. Adele, focusing on pledging Japanese securities, did I get it right that they would need to be transferred to an account opened in the collateral receiver's name? And so does the collateral receiver then become the legal owner of those securities? So, Ross, the Japanese securities would need to be transferred to a pledge account open in the collateral receiver's name. However, and this is critically important to your question, the collateral provider or the pledger will retain ownership over the pledge securities in the account. Now, this is the case because under the Japanese Book Entry Act, there are several security transfer types available. Two of the most commonly used are Shinjukin, which is a transfer of securities without any change in ownership. And this other one is Jototampo, which is a transfer of securities that would result in the change of legal ownership. Now, Shinjukin, which is also referred to in English as the simplified pledge, is a type of transfer that is commonly used for the pledging of Japanese securities, where the securities are transferred into an account in the collateral receiver's name without any change in terms of legal ownership. In short, the legal title remains with the collateral provider. This nuance is covered in the bilateral securities agreement, which addresses the perfection of the pledge, as well as the tri-party account control agreement. Thank you for that detailed explanation. Uh, given the nuances you've highlighted, particularly with respect to Japanese pledge, is it possible to have a mixed pool of Japanese and non-Japanese collateral? No, this is a great question, which is of critical importance to our global clients, who usually post a mixed basket of collateral in tri-party. So the answer is yes, clients can pledge a mix of Japanese and non-Japanese collateral for a given trade in tri-party. Now, this is possible because unlike in the case in Japan, where the Japanese Book Entry Act 
is very prescriptive with respect to the account structure and the naming convention of the pledge account. The European and U.S. requirement for a valid and perfected pledge are much more relaxed and therefore able to conform to the Japanese pledge requirements, particularly around the account naming convention. This means that with updated provisions to the security agreement, which is the bilateral trade agreement, along with the tri-party ACA, Japanese securities, as well as non-Japanese securities like U.S. Treasury or U.K. equities, can all be held in a single pledge account open in the collateral receiver's name. A final point on Japan. With respect to the event of a pledger's default involving Japanese collateral, the enforcement process is exactly the same as you're familiar with for standard tri-party arrangements, meaning that the collateral receiver would send a notice of default to the tri-party agent along with instructions and SSI detail for the delivery of the Japanese securities to their account at their custodian, at which time the title or the ownership of the collateral will be transferred to the collateral receiver who will become the legal and beneficial owner of the securities. Thank you, Dal. It's certainly great to hear there is a tri-party solution to co-mingle international and Japanese assets under a Japanese pledge. So we've nearly come to the end of the podcast and a good question to finish on. What does the future of Pledge look like? Graham, would you like to go first? Thanks, Russ. Other applications of Pledge we've seen are control account agreements to collateralise margin lending. Another area of development is the use of Pledge for repo arrangements, which is under discussion. Okay, excellent. And Adele, from your perspective? Like most discussions around Asia, they usually start and end with China. So currently, we support in our tripartite programme Chinese equities traded through the Hong Kong-China Stop Connect scheme. Now, with respect to Chinese fixed income securities, we are in consultation with local market experts on a tri-party solution. So, Adele, what's the driver for looking at China onshore? So, for a bit of context, the China onshore bond market is the second largest bond market globally, with a total outstanding issuance of around 13 trillion USD. As of August this year, the total foreign investors' holdings was around 600 billion USD, which increased 86% over the last two years. Including in this 600 billion are Chinese government bonds, commonly referred to as CGB. These account for almost 60% of the foreign investor holdings, or 340 billion USD, which grew by 85% over the last two years. Given this growth in foreign investor CGB holdings and the fact that pledged security financing is well-established in China and is more popular and widely accepted locally, CGB is now our immediate focus. Graham, Adele, thank you very much for your time and insights. I think you've provided a comprehensive view of the key considerations with regards to pledge for the securities financing participants. And thank you to all of our listeners for taking the time to join this podcast. Any further information required can, of course, be coordinated by yourselves and client service representatives. 
please feel free to reach out to them. I would also advise that this communication is provided for information purposes only. It is not intended as an offer or solicitation for the purchase, sell or tender of any financial instruments. Please visit jpmorgan.com for more information, including important disclosures. 2021 JP Morgan Chase & Co. All rights reserved. This episode was recorded on Wednesday, the 10th November 2021. Thank you for listening. The views expressed in this podcast may not necessarily reflect the views of JP Morgan Chase and & Company and its affiliates together JP Morgan and do not constitute research, a recommendation, advice, or an offer or a solicitation to buy or sell any security or financial instrument. Reference products and services in this podcast may not be suitable for you and may not be available in all jurisdictions. JP Morgan may make markets and trade as principal in securities and other asset classes and financial products that may have been discussed. For additional disclaimers and regulatory disclosures, please visit www.jpmorgan.com forward slash disclosures. Thank you.